Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. I am super excited to have an exceptionally funny and exceptionally loud guest on my podcast today. She's an unapologetic writer, speaker, and CEO of Loud Blonde, which is a marketing company that helps female entrepreneurs bring bold brands to life online. This woman is passionate about encouraging women to listen to their instincts and speak their truth at the highest volume. Her no-punches-held attitude sheds refreshing light on subjects when women are dying to, but fearful to talk about. She's the author of Loud, Silence Your Critics and Turn Up the Volume on Your Life, a self-help book for any woman dying to do, be, and have more out of life. She inspires me with her hilarity, boldness, and her unique way of being unapologetically authentic. Please welcome to the show, Kelly Cochran. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ooh, is this where we insert an applause track? Because that's awesome. That was I know, right? Show. Every time I introduce someone like that, I just want to hear like, yeah, Kelly, <laughs> we love you. We just need to start making our own. I love it. <laughs> What's up, girl? Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We're finally connecting. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and you're coming out of a very exciting period. Your book, Loud, Silence Your Critics and Turn Up the Volume on Your Life, just hit bestseller status in not one, not two, three different categories on Amazon, right? Three categories. Yep, that's right. And one of them, you guys, is Catholic self-help. So if you're looking for help as a Catholic, (laughs) this is the book for you. We're laughing because once you read it, you get to like chapter two. How to piss off a nun one jar of paint at a time. <laughs> my my parents were really proud of that chapter. <laughs> I bet they were. I, I, said, that, I said, you know, it, there is a reason you sent me to Catholic school for nine years. It just wasn't the reason you thought. <laughs> yeah. So in that, in that chapter, you guys, um, you were young, you were little, like maybe seven or something. And uh-huh. you were in your Catholic school class and you painted, you decided to paint your Jesus green, right? You painted his robes green. And exactly. like, then you looked around and all the other little, whatever, 20 other little kids all had little blue robed Jesuses. And the nun came over and was like, what is this? Like heresy, sacrilege, Jesus did not have green robes. And like, we're laughing now, but all jokes aside, that was pretty traumatic for you as a child. And one of the first times that you realized that coloring outside the lines or kind of doing things your own way, being your own authentic self was not necessarily welcome, right? I think that's the first time that I realized that it is way safer to be a part of the herd and that standing out from the group makes you subject to attack, subject to being ostracized and criticized. And for like a six-year-old, that's terrifying. You don't want to be outside of the group. And uh, yeah, that memory was buried very, very deep in my subconscious. And through writing this memoir that turned into a funny self-help book, it was crazy. The memories that started surfacing that I've been burying for like over 30 years. I was like, oh, wow, that was really traumatic for a little girl to have this nun towering over her and screaming at her. This isn't St. Patrick. This is Jesus. Why are you painting him green? And I was like, I don't know. I'm a little kid. I liked the green yeah, paint. I was say, did St. <laughs> Patrick wear green robes? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, yeah, you say later in the book that you were a tall poppy, right? Which I had not heard that expression, but apparently it's an Australian expression that talks about anybody who's kind of rising above or striving for greater things than the people around them. And you said, you know, it wasn't, 
in the beginning, you weren't necessarily doing that on purpose. It just kept happening to you. (laughs) Right. You just kept finding yourself standing out from the crowd, like you just said. Um, So I'd love to hear, you know, this message about being unapologetically your authentic self is such an important theme in your life that you wrote a book about it. This is like, you do coaching on this, right? This is like your, your thing. So can you tell us like, why, why did you decide that people need to live louder, that you needed to live louder? Um, for those who haven't read the book yet, what's your story? I, I think it's this whole idea of embracing what makes you the most unique instead of hiding from it. So perfect example right now, very relevant example is Lizzo. Lizzo, Mm -hmm. if you've been living in a cave for the past six months, is a rapper and singer who is blowing up right now. And she is very large, very in charge. And she could have had this thing in her head where she's like, I don't look like Rihanna. I don't look like Beyonce. There's no way the world is going to embrace me and my message and my vocal talents because I don't physically look the part of this like pop star of this, you know, billboard chart topping artist. But instead she's like, you know what? This is what makes me powerful. This is what, where my strength comes from is this body type and my voice and my talent playing the flute. I mean, how random is that? That she just rocks out on the flute too. And she's a rapper and singer and performer. I just saw that the other day. And I was yeah. like, well, I have a flute still from fifth grade in my closet. I I've could got, get it out and be like Lizzo. And I was like, I've, actually, I've a, I don't even remember how to I've play got a cla- I've got a clarinet somewhere, you know? We, we could just start a jam band. <laughs> I love that. But, but actually, great point to that, which is so funny, is uh, when I was in fifth grade, you know, you could choose band or music at the school. I went to and I wanted to play the saxophone and my mom talked me out of saxophone and I don't know why at the time I think it was just cheaper to buy me a clarinet and she knew that Mm. I I would grow out of it and wouldn't want to be in band that long but I I always joke with her I'm like mom I could have been the next Kenny G you don't know how far I would have gone if you let me play the saxophone because that was speaking to my young soul like so I think it's just funny it's just it's being loud is all about leaning into who you are as a person, who you authentically truly are. So if you're big and in charge and out there, why not lean into that instead of hiding yourself away, you know, really like embrace your own attitude, embrace your own power, because that's when people really start gravitating to you as a person. When I embraced that I am a loud blonde, all of a sudden the world just opened up and everyone just gets it and they're gravitating towards me because of my message. They're like, wait, I want to connect into that shift that you connected into. And really all I did was just embrace my true self. That was the shift. That was it. But it's so like, yeah. And I hear it and I'm just like, yeah, duh. You know what I mean? But also so many people aren't doing this. And one of the things that I think is really common and really prevalent that's actually exacerbated because of social media is people feeling like they need to fit a certain mold because they're trying to be like this other person, right? Just like you said, like if Lizzo was trying to be like Beyonce, it wouldn't work because guess what? She's not Beyonce. Like she's uniquely, incredibly different and amazing and equally, like equally amazing, but different. You know what I mean? Weird, your weirdness will always win, but most of us are afraid to be weird as fuck because we're like, oh, people aren't going to love me. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be abandoned because we're operating those, those narratives that are in our subconscious from when we were six and the freaking nun told us that the robes needed to be blue. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it's like, you know, I get, I get frustrated sometimes even, I mean, I'm not going to throw any names and throw anybody under the bus, but even on this show, because one of the things that I really want to do is I want to dig, like, I want to dig into you. I want to be nosy. I want to know the real stories. I want to know the stuff that you're hiding. You know what I mean? And sometimes people come on and they'll just say, you know, like, oh, like I was going through a really challenging period. And I'm like, tell me about the snotty tears. Like, I want to hear about the depths of your pain. Well, like just a little behind the curtains for all your listeners right now, like before we hopped on, you asked me, is is there anything off limits? And I thought that was so funny because I'm the type of person that would never ask a guest that because to me, there is nothing (laughs) off limits. If you're coming on to my show and talking to me, you know, we're going to go there. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was very sweet of you as a guest, as a host, but also as a guest, I'm like, no girl, nothing's yeah. off 
limits. Like, you yeah. know me, I'm an open book. I mean, shit, I wrote a book about- <laughs> About being an open book. Yeah, yeah exactly. About all the struggles and, and all the stuff that women don't want to talk about. Yeah, it's in print now. So there's no going back. <laughs> Well, so this is, so what I love about your book and about your brand is that it aligns with what was um, given to me as kind of the core value or mission for my life, which is show up, love people, tell the truth, right? And the, the, the tell the truth part of that is really important. It's kind of like the secret sauce because most of us go through life speaking in half truths. Um, or struggling to even discern what their truth is, right? So you're, one of the aspects of your brand is encouraging and empowering women to speak their truth at the highest volume. But there's so many women who are walking around who are like, I actually, A, don't know what my truth is, right? Because I can't differentiate the conditioning from my actual intuition and my own wellspring of, of wisdom and knowledge and, and desire. Right. Um, and then the secondary hurdle, which is like, it just gets stuck right here in the throat chakra because of people pleasing or not having boundaries or not having, um, you know, enough grounding in who we are to know that we are strong enough to withstand whatever rejection or abandonment or whatever negative consequence may come from us speaking our truth. And then actually anything that falls away is for our highest good. And let speaking our truth always, 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 always leads to freedom. Even if it means your mother-in-law hates you. <laughs> Absolutely. I uh, was just at a training last week and I loved this question that they posed to us, which was what needs to die so that something can be born. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of us have all this bag, a lot of us, shit, all of us have all this baggage that we're carrying with us, whether or not you had a traumatic childhood. I was listening to another podcast this morning on the way to the gym and, and they were saying, you know, there are also women who, even if you had a great upbringing, it's almost like you feel like you can't speak your story because it wasn't traumatic enough. And I think mm -hmm. I've had some of that imposter syndrome because I, I had a wonderful childhood. I have a loving family. My parents are still married. I mean, I, I'm the, I'm the weird one now. I'm the mm -hmm. odd one out. And I'm like, oh, I didn't have enough trauma. So I didn't come from this place that was so low that now people can see my real hero journey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think I had to get over a lot of that in writing the book where I was like, no, there are these normal struggles that a lot of women have. Like, I don't want kids. That's a big struggle. And it's, it is traumatic to try and like figure that out. So I, it's interesting just thinking about how, yeah, what needs to die, what old ideas need to die so that your newest, highest self can be born. And it's, so, you can tell when people do the work, it uh -huh. takes a lot of work. You don't just one day quit your job and go, I'm going to go be the female Tony Robbins and somebody hires you to step on stage in front of 10,000 people. Like Does it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> oh God, girl, I wish it would have saved me years of time. <laughs> um, but seriously, what you just said is I want to, I want to revisit it for a moment because I've heard that from, from a lot of women is this idea, that, right? Like we managed to guilt and shame ourselves kind of no matter where we come from. Like if you did have a lot of trauma, if your life was really fucked up, then you're like, oh, how can I share this with people? How can I share with them that I was whatever, addicted to drugs or prostituting myself, or I had an, you know, sexual abuse as a child or whatever the thing is. But then the flip side of that is people who don't feel like they have that trauma are also like, oh, like I, my life wasn't bad enough. Like I don't have any value to offer the world because I'm not all fucked up. It's like, Isn't that wait a crazy? minute. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there is no greater pain. And what I mean by that is even though like, even though your life experiences are different from somebody's life experiences who maybe did have what most people would look at as significant trauma, the human experience of suffering and of pain and of feeling like an outsider and of feeling unloved, feeling rejected, feeling abandoned, all of these things, the actual experience is the same, right? We don't, we can't grade like, oh, you know, your, your pain is greater than my pain or because this person died or that thing happened, then that was worse. But we, because our minds always want to operate in comparison, we do that. So how did you get over that? Cause you said you had to get over that to write a book. How did you like embrace and acknowledge like, you know what? My story is valid. My lessons are worthy of sharing with the world, even though maybe 
my story doesn't look like that girl over there's. Honestly, it was the effort of tapping into that feeling. I, the story that got me over it was I was thinking about driving and I think I talk about it in the book. I was driving down the Pacific Coast Highway for all intents and purposes. I was like living the dream. I had moved to San Diego from Spokane, Washington. I had this cool job in advertising. I was commuting to LA once a week. And from the outside, it looked like I had made it at 24 years old, but I was miserable. I was so depressed. I just couldn't figure out why everyone else my age was so content just doing this like nine to five thing. And I just didn't get like what it was I was working for. And I was like, I hopefully am going to be on this planet like another 80 years. I can't do this for another 80 years. Like I need to know what in the world I'm here for. And I was just like, you know what? If, if I was struggling this hard in my 20s with figuring out my purpose and the existential question of why the hell am I put on this planet, then there has to be so many other women who felt like this. And so it doesn't have to be, that's how I can help. That's how I can help women with my story is just that small, um, it's like that small way of not fitting in. I just felt like an outsider and a misfit my entire twenties. And I'm like, I can't be the only person who felt like this. So I was just like, you know what? My story feels small, but if it helps at least one other person, it's worth writing. Has at least one other person said that it helped them? <laughs> a couple more than one, but yes. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're in the clear then. Um, so I want to hear about that because you just said, you know, you were 24, you had this incredible job. And in your book, you talk about um, having things stripped from you, right? Like having relationships, jobs, like basically the universe kind of bitch slapping you and being like, no, actually that's not what you're supposed to be doing with your life. You're supposed to be doing something bigger. So um, can you tell us about, you know, maybe you don't think of it as a hero's journey, but I think it's got a lot of the elements. Like how did you go from the safe home of doing what everybody says you're supposed to do and being in the corporate world to like where you are right now today, which is really creating a life on your own terms and speaking and writing and doing all of these things that, so many people want to do, but they don't think are possible. Um, tell us about what you went through to get here. First of all, I'll tell anyone listening, if you want to be a published author, if you want to be a speaker, it is possible. If I figured out how to do it, you can do it. We, Amelia and I will help you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just as you were talking, I was like, wow, I really had this like cycle that I was going through in my 20s and early 30s. It was like, get a corporate job, question the boss, get fired for questioning the boss, always a male, uh, and then start an entrepreneurial venture and then not really make any money. So pick up another corporate job, do really well. But then until I question the boss, get fired again, literally this happened to me three times. And by the third time, which was May, 2017, I, I mean, I was running a marketing department. I had this amazing team working under me and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I, I was just slamming my head so hard against that corporate glass ceiling. And once again, I put my neck on the line and, and I lost my head. And I just had this very clear voice from God saying, how many times are you going to have to keep doing this to get it, to get my message? Like you are meant for more. And it's like the little businesses I would start is like, I started a recycled jewelry line the first time I got fired. I started a funny uh, wine t-shirt company called Pretty Tipsy the second time I got fired. And finally, the third time I got fired, I was like, okay, those were fun, but like I wasn't put on this planet to sell funny t-shirts. Mm -hmm. Like God is calling me to so much more. Mm -hmm. So what is that more? And so what I did, I got really quiet. The December of that year, I just got super quiet and I really just meditated a lot. I got out in nature a lot. And then this idea of loud blonde kind of came out of nowhere. And it was like, oh, this is who I'm coming into the world as. This is who I present as at work. And this is why I'm getting fired, but also why the people who work for me love me and why I build strong teams is because I stand up for other people. I'm unapologetic. I'm honest. Like I'm a questioner. I want what's best for the company and the team and the group. And I was like, okay, so instead of shying away from this and trying to toe the company line, 
what if I leaned into this? And what if I taught other women how to do this and how to be successful at it? Mm-hmm. And so it, it just kind of unlocked everything. I was like, oh, lean into the thing that's getting you fired from all these jobs because actually that's my biggest strength. Yeah. So one thing that I think you can really help people with is that a lot of people, when they start their entrepreneurial journey, do what you did, which was they feel inadequate in and of themselves. So even though they may actually be called to be a personal brand, that feels too scary. So they're like, let me pick something else that I can monetize that's smaller, where I can like pick a cutesy brand name and it can be this separate thing for me. And I can, I can remain kind of unseen or hiding behind the scenes, but then they're putting this thing out to the world that's like half-assed, right? Because it's really not where their magic lies. Like maybe you are great at making recycled jewelry and wine t-shirts. Like I'm sure you were because you're a very (laughs) capable woman, right? But like that is, you know, within the recycled art was like your creativity, right? Within the wine shirts, it's like your sense of humor, right? And both of those leverage your ability to market, but not none of them are really harnessing your magic. So to those people who are listening who are right now like, oh fuck, they're talking about me. That's that's me. Like I'm the one that has this little entrepreneurial endeavor or like medium size or big, whatever, but it's it's kind of a cover up for them wanting to have a personal brand. You said getting really quiet, but like, what were some of the, and like also not making any money. (laughs) (laughs) That helps too. (laughs) Signs and then kind of tools or, or, or like ways that you, um, stripped away the bullshit so that you could see that your brand was actually supposed to be you. So what I did after uh, pretty tipsy is I started a website called Kelly knows SEO because I am a search engine optimization expert. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to leverage this 15 years of marketing experience I have, then what people ask me for the most is help with SEO. So I'll I'll make this website. Oh my God. It was so terrible that it was like, it just was so uninspired. It was speaking to no one because it didn't speak to me. It was like kind of trying to speak to corporate America. And I was like, I don't want corporate clients. And so I don't, I really think it was just the, it was just the getting quiet and then coming out with this idea of being loud is what the world needed. And it was so like opposite and so in your face. And I I came up with this like yellow brand color and I was like, God, that's opposite of what everyone's doing right now. What everyone's doing is this like rose gold and gold, really frilly handwriting fonts and, and all this stuff that just felt so inauthentic to me. So I think to answer your question is it always felt off. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in your gut, when you're running a business, that's just not a hundred percent in alignment with who Mm -hmm. you are or with your highest self. Mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of people do like the network marketing thing is because it's safe. They already have a structure that they could just plug and play, but And I'm speaking from experience. I was a Mary Kay rep for years. I sold Arbonne, name it, I've sold it. But I think that a lot of those programs were never 100% in alignment with who I wanted to be. Like I love Mary Kay's products, but me selling makeup and cosmetics was never, I just knew that wasn't what I was put on this planet for. Mm -hmm. I was being called to something more. So I think, you know, in your gut, if you're not 100% in alignment with what it is you're trying to do. And that's hard to figure out for sure. I mean, it takes a lot of journaling, a lot of self-reflection. It takes getting quiet. I think a lot of entrepreneurs do use hustle so that they don't have time with their own brain. Yeah. Because it gets scary. It's really scary in there. (laughs) One of the things that I really appreciate, appreciate about you sharing this part of your story and that I often share with clients is like, there's so much information in failure, right? Like a lot of people don't start because they're afraid of failing, which by the way, like the result that you're afraid of in failure is like not having it. So you don't start. So you don't have it. Like that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like that's stupid. You're guaranteed to get zero if you don't do anything. Right. But also like, you know, one of the most successful entrepreneurs, look, I think it's bullshit. If we say we get excited about failure, nobody's fucking excited about failure. It sucks. Right. But we do know that when something doesn't work, that it's not a reflection of you being a worthless person or like a, you know, 
not having any gifts to offer the world. It's just like people didn't like that particular thing, right? Like I have a client who has a waffle, like a waffle and espresso house in Ohio. And she was saying she has that business and she has a wellness business, like a fitness and wellness and yoga business. In the fitness, wellness and yoga business, she's the face of that brand. In the waffle business, it's about waffles, right? <laughs> the waffle business is doing three times or four times as much revenue as her yoga business. And I said, why? And she's like, because I'm not, I'm not attached and I don't take offense when elements of the waffle business don't work, right? Like if, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like if at the end of the season, you got a giant Costco sized container of strawberry syrup left, but all the maple syrup is gone, you're not like, holy fuck, everybody hates me and I'm the worst person ever. You're just like, they don't like strawberry syrup. You know what I mean? So like pr pretty tipsy and like the jewelry business, it's kind of like they, people just didn't want strawberry syrup. And also like that wasn't really you, you know what right. I mean? Um, but we're so afraid. People are so afraid of failure. So what would you say are like the lessons that you are able to receive from failing over and over and over, like getting fired from your jobs, like having these entrepreneurial endeavors not work. Like it, they were the breadcrumbs leading you to what it really is. But I think that is like, is there, is there an even greater encouragement or wisdom that you can give to people who are like currently like they just got fired yesterday? You know what I mean? First of all, I'm so sorry. I'm giving you a virtual hug. I've been there. It's such an it's such an ego trip to get fired, especially from a job that you are really good at. So if anyone is listening that has been fired, ooh, girl, I feel you. That it sucks. It's a, it's a real ego blow. But I think what you have to do is just, again, perfect example with the syrup. You have to separate it. It's not that the guy who fired me, well, no, in that case it was, he didn't like me as a person. <laughs> but you know what, but you have to separate. He fired me because he didn't like women and he didn't like people uh, questioning his decisions. He, yeah. wanted, he wanted to be a dictator and that's not how that company had been run previously. And I spoke up about that and he didn't like that. And so I got let go and, and mm -hmm. it just is what it is. But um, I think to get over the failures and to keep moving forward, it's, I love this quote and I wish I could claim it, but a couple of friends of, of mine say this all the time, if not this, then better. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's everything. If you think of life as a staircase, it's every failure isn't making you fall down. It's actually making you move up a stair. So mm -hmm. if you start at the very bottom at birth, every failure, every little thing that you try is actually moving you up a staircase because you're learning something. It's not happening to you. It's happening for you. So all of these times that I got let go, oh my God, I learned so much from each of those jobs that are now just all pieces in this great tool belt I have to help clients in marketing. And so even though they didn't last as long as I thought they would, they taught me a lot about myself. They taught me a lot of skills that I needed. So it's just every step, every failure is moving me up that ladder. Failure, you, you aren't falling back down. You're never going backwards. You're always going forward, even though at the time, it's just, it crushes your ego. It makes you sad. Give yourself that five minutes to cry and feel sorry for yourself, but then move on. It's just action steps, action steps up the ladder. Do you feel like you would apply that same ladder principle to relationships? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so oh, do you yes. think your divorce was helping you move a step up the staircase? Oh, absolutely. Well, that helped me move about <laughs> 10 steps up the staircase, but Oh girl. I want the, to hear about guys your divorce. I, the guys I dated after my divorce. First of all. Okay. That's probably the only time in my life where I moved backwards. Cause I think if anyone's listening, who's been <laughs> divorced before you get a little bit of the Stella got her groove back syndrome where uh, it's like, Oh my God, I'm free again. I'm single. And you're out there and you're, you're kissing all the frogs to see, uh -huh. just hoping somebody's going to turn into a prince and guess what? They're mostly frogs, but that's uh -huh. okay. You got to get it out of your system. <laughs> yeah. So you're, so one, I loved in the book that you were talking about when people tell you who they are, believe them. Right. Oh, and, and that hit me them. in the gut because I was like, how many times did I date somebody who like told me, like, like told me like, I'm an asshole or like, you know yep. what I mean? Or like I'm married oh, yeah. to someone else for like, yep. and I was just like, it's okay. You know what I mean? Let's, you're going to change for me. You're going to yeah. be different. Right. So oh, I can case, fix you. I'll fix you. Yeah. But in this case, it was like almost role reversal because you were, you married someone and you had told him, Hey, I don't want kids. Right. And he had said, 
to your family members or some friends or somebody else like, oh, she'll, she'll change your mind. I'll right. make her change your mind. And you right. guys got married with that huge, um, I don't want to say point of contention, but like you just difference of opinion, right? Like right. difference of desire for life path, which is huge. Um, so what do you feel like for, give us, give us the dirt. Like what, when did you get married? How did it fall apart? And like with the groove back thing, like how did you fall back together? Or were you just like, yay, this is over and I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> so I got married when I was 29. We only dated for a year before we got engaged. And I think it was just, we had a lot of fun. We were, if, anyone listening is living in San Diego. We were the mayor and mayoress of PB at the time. Mm, and so we wow, had a lot, of, a lot of fun. Oh, we had a lot <laughs> of fun. We were going out to shore club all the time. Uh, yeah. So we just, we were partying a lot and we had a lot of fun and we got engaged and it was super exciting. And I think when you are on that engagement train, everything's fun and exciting. And you're planning this big party and you don't really think about what marriage means and what being with one person for the rest of your life looks like, especially a person that you just don't know that well. Uh, I was trying to be a good Catholic girl and not live with him before we got married. Huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, so basically our first year of marriage was learning who this person actually is and going, Oh, this isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he, without going into a lot of details, it was just, it was a lot of lies, a lot of like people pleasing. And I was like, oh, so basically everything you said while we were dating was just stuff I wanted to hear, but that isn't the person that you really are. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately I just, I didn't know that. You don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I would definitely say date someone longer than a year before you get married, <laughs> live with them first. And uh, yeah, so about two years into the marriage, I knew I didn't want to be in it anymore. And it took me a year of driving to and from work. I had a half hour commute each way and thinking about leaving him for an entire hour every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to therapy that entire year to work on a lot of different stuff, depression, you know, imposter syndrome, yada, yada. And by the end of it, my therapist was like, you know, you're doing great. You really don't need to come back here anymore. I think there's only one thing that you keep talking about every time you come in here. And I think, I think, you know what you have to do. And I was like, I need to leave him. And she's like, you need to leave him. And I was like, okay. And so after that, it was like this huge weight was lifted. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It was awful. The separation was awful. Divorce is awful. It's a horrible, horrible thing to go through, but it is so much worse being married to the wrong person mm -hmm. that it's just, it's painful. You know, you're living a lie every day you come home, you know, you're living a lie. So, uh, yeah, it was brutal, but I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing it. I'm so scared to tell my parents so scared. And I remember I parked at the top of this Hill overlooking downtown San Diego at night. And I called them and just started bawling. I think they probably thought someone died. And, <laughs> and I was just like, I'm, I'm leaving him. Our marriage is over. And I was like, I, I've been so scared to tell you. And they're like, why are you don't stay for us? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I was like, but you guys are still married and you spent all this money on my wedding and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, it was a great six hour party. We're not doing it again. So if you get remarried, it's on your own dime, but you know, <laughs> don't worry about us. Do, yeah. do what's right for you. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to make that decision. It's, it's scary to know you're going to lose friends, to lose family. I loved his family. That was really hard to lose them in my life. And I lost half of my friends, all of his friends went with him. My friends stayed with me. I lost some of my friends went with him. It was weird. It's, it's weird when people pick sides in a divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you just, you have to listen to your gut and know, know what's right for you. It's just I really appreciate you talking about it, taking that year of commuting and an hour a day of thinking about it. You know, we weren't married, but I dated a guy for six years who was not, not a good fit. And we lived together. We had joint bank accounts and joint car insurance and all the, the things. And I think I probably thought about leaving him for like three years. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And it was really unhealthy relationship, very toxic, controlling towards the end abusive. And I think a lot of people who, for whatever reason, you're, you know, it's the wrong relationship. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, Maybe the person's lovely. You just know that they're not the right person. But sometimes we can get in an energy of like really beating ourselves up for 
both, right? Beating ourselves up for staying because we know it's not right. And then also beating ourselves up over the idea of leaving because we think we're going to ruin the person's life or we're going to hurt their family. We're going to hurt our parents. We wasted the money on the wedding, whatever. Um, but I think it's like great to hear you giving people permission to like, yeah, it might take you a year or two or five to like get to where the desire greater than desire, the need for for freedom and for living your truth is greater than the discomfort and the pain of leaving, right? Well, and I think what stops so many women from leaving toxic relationships is the fear of, I'm never going to find someone again. And can I just tell you, I have that same fear every time I leave a relationship, but the men that have been in my life after my divorce, yeah, I've had some crazy ones, but that's totally on me. I, I let them in. I let them in. Uh, but I have dated some lovely, lovely people that were so much more aligned with who I wanted to become as a person, who I could grow with uh, instead of someone who felt me, who felt like an anchor to my boat. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I, that I know they're shitty. I don't want an anchor for my boat. Right. Like maybe no. like you, yeah, want no. some, you want someone who's sitting beside you and like, you know, waving the flag and going faster, faster. You don't want someone <laughs> who like, you're trying to rev the engine and they're like, no, you can't yeah. go further than me type deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think we all, I just want to address that. We all have that fear. No one wants to be alone in this life. It's scary. It's hard to be an adult. And I think especially if you do have some, trauma issues or abandonment issues, that's really scary to be alone. But I just have to ask you, like, how much worse is it to be in a relationship that you know isn't serving your highest potential mm -hmm. than to go out as your highest self and attract that better fit? And it may take a while, but you just have to, it's all about self-work and it's all about getting comfortable with who you are first. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you were dealing with depression. Um, during that time, would you say that you feel like your depression was because you were in a marriage that wasn't right for you? Or was there, were there other factors to it? Um, for everybody that's dealing with, you know, mental health stuff or depression or anxiety or whatever, uh, what was that, what was that like for you and kind of what tools helped you maybe come out the other side? So I first realized that I had bouts of depression uh, when I lived abroad after college and loneliness really brings on my depression and overwhelm. And so now that I'm older, I'm really good at recognizing when it's coming on. But that first year of our marriage, uh, we got married right during the recession, that massive recession mm -hmm. in 2008. Uh, my husband and I lost our jobs the same week and found out our dog had cancer. Oh a week gosh. later, it was a shit storm. So it was so hard to remain. And he was one of the, still is one of the most upbeat people on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just, it got to the point where it's like us pretending things are okay. Isn't working anymore. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it was a combination of losing jobs, having no money, still trying to portray that we had everything going on and could still go on trips and go out with our friends all the time and be these happy-go-lucky 20-somethings when we had like two nickels to rub together mm -hmm. and our dog was sick and needed $2,500 in chemo and it was this whole thing so yeah it was it was the perfect storm it was <laughs> it hit all at once so you talk yeah. in your book about like it being okay not being okay like where are you now with um when you feel that depression coming on, like, do you phone a friend? Like, how do you, do you, do you acknowledge it? And you're just like, okay, like this is a necessary season of darkness. Cause when I hear you talk about that particular experience, what comes to me is, um, sifting like this, like sifting and refining or like even forging iron, like for iron is forged in fire. You know what I mean? So if you've right. got stuff in your life, that's actually not your highest good and you are ignoring the whispers or just don't hear them right then if, if they're going to become more and more obvious and in that situation i feel like perhaps like areas of resistance were being illuminated in your life so you guys could see the ways in which like you weren't maybe meant to do it together right like if, right. if those challenges kind of don't bring you closer but like 
maybe create separation? Like, could have that have just been divine intervention, like revealing to you, like, hey, you know? Absolutely. I've never, I've never thought about it like that, but that's, that's huge. That's so true. And I think a lot of married couples will say that it's how you weather storms together that will determine the strength of your marriage. It's not Mm -hmm. how good the happy times are on your last vacation to Hawaii. It's Mm -hmm. when one of your parents dies, how Mm -hmm. you deal with that. When a kid gets sick, how you deal Mm -hmm. with that. It's all, one of you loses a job and they were the main breadwinner. You know, it's all those times how you can support each other. Or if you aren't on the same page, it's going to become obvious really fast. Yeah. When I think about relationships, like not being right, I just think about the feeling of laying together in bed at night and all of the things that have been left unsaid. Do you know that feeling? Oh, it's awful. and, And just feeling like so misunderstood by the other person. And like, to me that's kind of one of the greatest symptoms now, you know, of like, yeah, it's probably not right. You know what I mean? If you're falling asleep every night, feeling alone, even though you're in a bed with somebody else, like probably not it, you know what I mean? Oh, Um, that is such a visceral picture and feeling that you just painted. I'm just like, oh, yep. Been there. Cause we've all felt it. Like we've all felt it. And like, and then there's that questioning of you're like, we, our rational mind wants to question our deep intuitive knowing, you know what I mean? And it's like, but will there be somebody better or like, who will I let down or whatever, all that stuff. So, I mean, to, to hear all the shit that you've gone through and like, okay, sure. Maybe there wasn't like a singular, like a massive trauma, right. But you've been through some stuff and you have really like managed to, to rise and to thrive and to be like, such an incredible place now. I I think when people hear like, oh, she's a published author and she's a speaker and she's a coach and she's all these things, they, they get this idea that you're perfect and amazing, which like you are amazing. Which I totally (laughs) am. (laughs) Um, But like where you are right now, writer, speaker, CEO of Loud Blonde, helping people with their marketing challenges, like what challenges are you still facing? Like what's presently the hardest thing that you're growing through in this season of your, your life or business? That actually, you just said it, it's growth. It's okay. How do I grow this loud platform? I'm working with a coach right now on, all right, I have this book I'm speaking. Like, how do I make this a thing that people can connect to? Because I have women all the time who want to work with me and It's like, how do I shift? It's like, how do I tap into this knowledge that they need and want that I want to give them? And it's like, how do you package it? Because I'm always coming from a marketing frame and I'm doing a big shift right now from doing like one-on-one marketing work for clients to doing more mindset work to help build loud leaders. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of like, how do I create that? And how do I say it in a way that's really obvious for people to know how to work with me. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's the constant shifting of the brand, but it's, it, but also staying authentic to who I am and, and what I can help women with. So let me get this straight. You have over 15 years of experience as an expert marketing strategist <laughs> and you're still struggling to figure out how yep. to. Yep. It never ends people. It never ends. The questioning and imposter syndrome never ends. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I almost, I, I've said before in the past and I'll say it again. Like, I think we need to eliminate imposter syndrome from our vocabulary because I think that's actually just called being human. Right. I don't so think true. there's anybody on this planet who doesn't struggle with feeling like others know better. Somebody else is already doing it. Who am I to do this? Like that's just having an ego and we all have an ego. Right. And it's, it thinks it's, it thinks it's helping because it's trying to protect you, but like, it's like, you're not helpful. Like right. get in the back seat. You know what I mean? Stop talking. I was just looking at my, I was putting some new books away on my bookshelf and I have this whole section of my bookshelf. That's just for authors who I'm friends with. And it's so funny how that's cool. How I know, cool is that are cool? you? That's so cool. But oh, it's just like two years ago, I wouldn't have known any authors, but because I've been really intentional with the people that I'm hanging around and the groups that I'm in and the masterminds I go to and the events that I attend and speak at, it's like now these people are my tribe. So to me, it's like they're not famous people. 
they're just my friends. Like I hung out with a bunch of them last week in Cleveland. And that's why I have all these new books is I brought them home from this event. And I'm like, wow, that's just, it's just such a trippy thing to be like, oh no, all these people are just humans. Like, yeah, I have a book, but I'm just a person. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm no one. And so I think that's really fun that it's just like, it's oh, so it's just, fun. And it's, it's like a reframing. It's like, yeah, yeah, Rachel Hollis can sell out arenas for her three-day events, but she's still just a mom. Like she's yeah. just a person. Yeah. She's somebody's mom. She's somebody's sister. She's somebody's best friend. She's still just yeah. a person, you know? Is Rachel Hollis one of your, your new BFFs? Uh, not yet, but my, co my coach is in her inner circle. So by wow. this time next year, we'll be, we'll be vacationing. Too. Yeah. You guys will be chilling. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> I love that because I think I, I'm very inspired by you doing this because, you know, writing a book has been for me, a lifelong goal. There's 250 pages of a manuscript sitting in my Google drive that has not been touched for like three years. I just what? haven't, it's just sitting there. I had to work through some shit. I had to figure out yep. one of my writing professors when I said, you know, I'm writing this, this book, but I don't know where it ends. Like, where does it end? You know, when is it resolved? And he was like, you're asking the wrong question because a great story, a great, a great book. Um, it's not about the problem being solved or resolved. It's about the problem being fully revealed. So the story right, will be I done like when the problem is fully revealed. And there, there was some stuff that literally needed to happen this year, my 33rd year that was like revealing the problem. So now I'm like, oh, okay, great. I can do it. But there's still that voice that's like, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't put it in order. You can't. And I'm just like, oh, Kelly can do it. I can do it. <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. We can do it. Well, and I feel like writing a book for anyone who has that on their heart, which I feel like is nine out of 10 people want to write a book. Do, writing a book that changes your own life is guaranteed to change readers' lives. And writing a memoir will absolutely change your life. So just get ready. Get mm. ready. It will open the floodgates to memories that you didn't know you had. <laughs> well, that's good. Because it's totally I worth it. so much weed, I don't remember most of it. <laughs> so I think I, I'm like, I need to write the book so that I can remember anything that happened before the age of 14. Oh, I can't believe that I was pulling out memories from when I was six. I have a terrible memory. And it was unbelievable, the stuff that emerged from my subconscious during writing. It's, it's great. It's just, even if you never intend to publish, just having a daily writing practice will bring so much up and it'll let you get it out. And a lot of the stuff I talk about was that last company I got fired from in my book. I ended up seeing the guy who fired me, uh, right as I was finishing my rough draft. And I thought that if I had ever seen him again, like I would have a visceral physical reaction towards him. And I just saw him in a parking lot and I felt nothing. It was like this wave of calm and it, I didn't feel anger. I didn't feel pity. I didn't feel sadness. Just, it was nothing. It was calm. And I was like, wow, that's how I know I've worked through it. And it took writing an entire book to work through it, but, <laughs> but I did. And I was like, wow, I'm really, I'm proud that I put in the work. So if, you know, if you're struggling with, with getting through anything, I say, just write about it. And eventually it'll work its way out. <laughs> so from a, from a, um, like an actual strategy standpoint, can you give people some advice on like, how did you start? Did you start by topic? Did you start by like extracting a single memory and being like, okay, I'm just going to write about that memory. Did you try to do it chronologically? Like for you, how did the actual writing process unfold? So the way that I was taught to do it by a coach that I hired is really unique. So I, you know, I grew up the way everyone did learning to outline and you have a thesis statement and then you build it off that. And then you write your intro and conclusion last and everything should support your thesis statement. Well, basically what we did was throw all of that out the window. And we started with a 20 minute drawing session where you actually set a timer and you only draw pictures. It doesn't matter if you can only draw stick figures. It it really doesn't. Just don't use words. And what that does is it gets you out of your left analytical brain and into your right creative brain. And so it is unbelievable what comes out of that 20 minutes. And then you just interview each other one-on-one -on -one and go deeper and deeper and deeper into each picture. So for example, uh, I drew a volleyball net 
And so my coach was like, tell me about this volleyball event. And I was like, I don't know. I played volleyball in high school. He's like, tell me more about that. And I was like, well, I only played freshman year. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, why'd you only play freshman year? And we kept going deeper and deeper. And finally it got to the story where my grandmother, who I was very close to lived like a block away from me, had died when I was 14 while my parents were on vacation in Hawaii. And I had to take a couple of days off volleyball practice to attend her funeral. And when I got back to volleyball practice, the coach basically just patted me on the shoulder and goes, sorry to hear about your grandma, uh, but you know, there's no crying in volleyball, go run laps. And so I wasn't allowed to grieve. And I was like, wow, I have buried that for so long. And it took drawing pictures to realize that that was like a memory that needed to come out. Mm-hmm. So what you do once you have all these pictures is you create Google Docs and you just have all of these. So one of my Google Docs said volleyball. One said Rapunzel's Tower. One was a rocket ship. One was a magic eight ball. It was all these things that I had drawn and those become the start for your free rights. And then you just set an eight minute timer and you open whatever Google Doc is speaking to you that day and you just write whatever comes out for eight minutes. If the timer goes off and you still want to write, keep going. Uh, but don't stop writing until the timer goes off. So basically you just come up with documents and documents of a bunch of just gibberish. Some of it's great, some of it's terrible. And that's when your story starts to really emerge. So it's a very creative way of doing it without without forcing the outcome. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's incredible what can come out of that. That's so cool. And I feel like hearing that one of the things that you know, you said it was you were working with a coach. And even if it's not a, a coach, uh, being in dialogue, like being in in um, a two-person dynamic as you told your story, it sounds like helped you come at it initially from this place of like, we're just having a conversation. You know what I mean? I can sit down and talk to you about my life or talk to that person about my life. Um, and that's a really different energy than trying to sit down and write because of the conditioning of like academic writing or because of our own beliefs around whether we're a good writer or not a good writer. So I think that's a really cool tip. Um, Right, it takes you out of your editor brain, which is a big thing that I had to learn because I've been an editor before, Mm -hmm. is I had to take that hat off when I sat down to write. I turned my spell check off and I could not go back and reread anything I had written before. And so my rough draft was very rough because that was the only way for me to not stop my creativity. Yeah. Yeah. It was the only way to not like damn that flow was to actually just keep writing and pretend that I just didn't see the missing commas and the misspellings and, and to do it that way. And then, yeah, talking it out helps you get out of your editor brain. So if you're, if you keep rewriting and rewriting and rewriting, then just stop writing and tell your story and record it. And then you can use like rev.com and it'll transcribe it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, All right. Well, I'm like, I could sit here and spend the rest of the day asking (laughs) you for free coaching around how to write my book, (laughs) but that's not what we're here for. Um, Let's talk about your book. So we do a book club every week, a book that we're going to recommend. And this week you're not allowed to recommend a book because I'm going to recommend a book (laughs) and the book is your book. Um, which, as we said in the intro, is loud, silence your critics, and turn up the volume on your life. Um, and in this book, you're going to learn why it's so scary to speak your mind, how to send your fear packing, what your gut instincts are telling you, and how to stop drowning them out. So how to actually listen to that inner voice that we're so good at just being like, I don't hear you. Um, <laughs> And how to live your loudest life, even if you're the world's quietest person. So, so what do you mean by that? I mean, what does it look like to you to live your loudest life? You said being authentic, being unapologetic. Um, to me, it, it looks like you're living in alignment. Like what you, what, you, what you want, what you say, what you do, and how you move are like all in accord. You walk the walk, you don't just talk the talk. That's the biggest thing for me that I've learned is so many women are trying to pretend they are something, but their actions don't follow their words. And so it's like, who do you, who are you really at your core? And are you in alignment with your actions with that? Yeah. So, you know, oh, I'm this 
good Christian person, but I talk shit about my friends behind their back. Or I'm, you know, I'm this person who is super into volunteering, yet I haven't volunteered since I was 16. Like, you know, it's just like, those are really stupid, easy examples, but it's like, how, who are you trying to show up as? And are you really being that person? So is this book just for female entrepreneurs? No, it's for, I, I feel like it's for any woman who feels stuck or like a misfit or an outcast because they feel like they have been living in this land of should for so long. Like I should be quiet. I should behave. I should be pretty. I should be skinny. I should, I should, I should, I should be married. I should have kids. A anytime you get that, those nagging voices in your head, whether it's from inside of you or external people, and you just don't want to be or do or have those things that you're supposed to have as a woman, that's who this book is for. You're not a misfit. You're part of the loud tribe. <laughs> and even, yeah. And I love that you say, even if you're quiet, because I think that shoulding can happen. Like, you know, you described how the shoulding was happening to you around, like, I should have more trauma before I like become an author or whatever. Or I, I should want to show up and be visible on social media. Well, maybe you really don't, maybe you really just hate social media altogether right. and you don't need to operate in that should. So, um, so I think what I love most about this is like, you're hilarious. It's so relatable. Like you're, um, you're just so freaking you, which is what the book is all about. So it's on Amazon. You guys can grab it now. You can also grab the first three chapters of it. If you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure I like this Kelly girl. <laughs> Go to her website, loudblonde.com backslash book. You can download three chapters and make sure you can try before you buy. <laughs> try before you buy, baby. But um, you'll be hooked. I promise. <laughs> it's so good, you guys. So I want us to leave everybody with, um, with just something that they can do. Uh, if you had, you know, a ride in an elevator with them right now, 30 seconds or a minute, and you had just that time to change their life, what's the best advice you've received or what advice uh, would you give people about just how to experience more joy, more stoke in their lives right now? Take action. Take a small, it doesn't have to be massive action, but take a small baby step towards something that you want to do. Whether it's even like journaling about something that you want to do or writing, starting to write a business plan for something that's been on your mind for months. I think so many women are so stuck before the take action phase. It's like they churn and churn and churn in the planning. It's like plan, design, plan, design, plan, design. And we never execute as women mm -hmm. where men execute and then they go, oh, maybe I should have planned and designed mm -hmm. that. You know, <laughs> it's like men, men lead with their egos. Women lead with their heart and their mm -hmm. fear. And so what I'm really trying to do is get women over their fear to lead more with their just authentic bravery. And so just, just taking action. What's like one thing today that you know, you know, has been on your list for months or years or decades. Let's use writing a book for an example, set your timer for eight minutes today and get words on paper. It doesn't matter if it's garbage. No, one's going to read it. Just put some words on paper. Just take one baby step today. I love That's that. It. Okay. Aye, aye, Captain <laughs> Kelly. I'm going to do it. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know everybody's going to fall in love with you. They want to connect with you further. So if you guys love Kelly and you want to be her friend, go hit her up on Instagram at loud blonde. Loud, loud blonde. Loud blonde. It has an E on the end in case you don't know how to spell blonde. Loud blonde <laughs> with an E. Um, you can also visit her on the web at www.loudblonde.com. And, um, yeah. Anything else you want to share with them about how they can come? Yes. I will be speaking uh, on stage at the Best Year Ever Blueprint. It is my favorite conference of the year in San Diego, the weekend of December 13th through the 15th. It is super interactive. So you don't just get spoken to from the stage. You actually do a lot of action planning to create your best year ever in 2020. So please Come join me down at the Manchester Grand Hyatt, December 13th through 15th, bestyeareverlive.com. Bestyeareverlive.com. You heard it here first, unless you already heard it somewhere else, in which case, just pretend. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Kelly. It was a joy hanging out with you thank today. Thank you. Definitely inspiring me to be louder and blonder in all of my life. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Have a great day, everyone. All right. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. 
If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories, tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.